This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. three is where we're at. We're continuing our series entitled Magnify Jesus. We're just going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And so we're almost finished with Philippians chapter three. We'll finish it next week. Uh, and then we'll go into a eight-week series on fear, entitled Fearless. We're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about fear. Uh, we're going to take a look at the Bible's relationship between fear and faith and what that means to us and how we live a life of less fear. And so we'll take a look at that over a, a period of eight weeks. And so just to kind of map out the rest of the year for you, here's what it's going to look like. We're going to finish up Philippians chapter 3 tomorrow, I'm sorry, next Sunday. Uh, and then the following week, starting uh, the 18th, is going to be our series on fear for eight weeks. Then we're going to come back and finish Philippians 4. That's going to take us through the end of the year to the, the holiday season, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then we'll start a brand new theme uh, next year. I'm excited about that. So that's the plan going forward. And so, uh, but today we're in Philippians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse number, we'll start in verse number 16 today. If you have the Hui Kala app on your phone, first of all, if you don't have it, you should download it now because on the Hui Kala app, you can actually click on uh, our series, Magnified Jesus, and then you can click on today's message uh, entitled The Enemies of the Cross. There's a button there that says fill in notes. It'll actually pop open a web browser for you so you can type your notes uh, in a web browser if you want to. You can also see all the verses that we'll uh, reference in this passage. And so I'd encourage you, that's a good way to follow along there. Or just grab a sheet of paper and, r- and jot down some thoughts as we go through this passage of Scripture this morning. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start uh, in verse number, um, let's start in verse number 13 just to back up, just to give us context. Uh, Paul has given us a long list of things that he's done uh, for uh, religious purposes, but he says in verse number eight that those things were worthless. He counted those as a loss. Uh, And he says, I haven't made it yet. Verse number 13, uh, Philippians chapter three, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus let us therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, but let us mind the same thing. We took a look at last week, verse number 17, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as you have us for an example. Verse 18 is where we're going to spend our time, 18, 19, and 20 today. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they're the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from which we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we take a look at Christianity, if you were to ask somebody, uh, do you consider yourself a Christian? I I never ask anybody that question because uh, you're just asking someone how they self-identify. What label do you put on yourself? And so um, I never usually ask that question when I'm talking to someone about the gospel or talking about my faith. I'll generally ask questions like this. If you died today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? 
I'll sometimes ask someone if they've uh, been around church for a while or they've attended church. They tell me about the church that they attend. I say, has there ever been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior? Or has there been a time in your life where you have been born again? Uh, because those are the really important questions. Do you have a point in time in your life where you accepted Christ as Savior? I'm less concerned with labels that people would self-identify with, and I'm more concerned with what they, they believe about Jesus. And so uh, that, that's really important from the get-go. Paul talks here about people who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Romans chapter 5 speaks in very, very clear language, and it says that you and I were the enemies of Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that when before you and I met Jesus, if, you've, if you're a Christian before you met Jesus, if you're not a Christian, I'm speaking to you today, of when you and I were born into this world, we weren't born good, we weren't born automatically into God's family, we were born sinners, and we were born as the enemies of God. And, and you and I can't make that right on our own. We can try to do good to cover up the bad that we've done. And, uh, but the worst part about it is that our good can't outweigh our bad. It doesn't work that way in God's economy. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. And so sin nature is not unique to a couple of us in the room here. It's, it's present in all of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've sinned against God. You've sinned against God. We've all broken God's law. We all stand in danger of God's judgment. And so because we've sinned against God, God says sin has a price that must be paid. And the price of that sin, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. Because you and I have sinned against God, we have to die. And that's one of the ways that we can pay for our sin, but it's not just a physical death. The Bible says in, in the book of Revelation that all whose names are not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There's actually a second death coming after a physical death. And that's what I deserve because I've sinned against God. I deserve to die physically, and then I die spiritually by going to hell. That's how I even the score with God. That's how I settle up with him on what I owe him. Now, I don't want to die and go to hell, and I don't want you to die and go to hell either. So God made a way for us to make things right with him, to have our account paid in full, and so he sent his son Jesus. Jesus in, John, in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, says that God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us the Bible says that you and I were supposed to die for our sin but Jesus died in our place you and I were supposed to suffer because of our sin but Jesus suffered for us you and I were supposed to endure God's punishment because of our sin but Jesus took that upon the cross himself and so Jesus died for sinners the Bible goes so far as to say this, he who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus Christ, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin and to pay for yours. Then if you'd be willing to receive that gift of forgiveness, that gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, you can be saved. So the Bible says that Jesus died not for just my sins, but for the sins of the whole world. But that payment for sin must be applied to your account. There has to be a time, a date, a place where you really put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, where you recognize that your sin was not okay and that you needed to make that right with God. Uh, for me, I was a nine-year-old boy when I put my faith and trust in Christ. Uh, I, I, I knew at nine I hadn't done any egregious sin at that point, but I realized that I had sinned before God. I was guilty, and if I died, I was going to go to hell. 
And so as a nine-year-old boy, uh, me and my dad sat down beside my bed on a Sunday morning, and we went through the, the gospel, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, from nine until 44, where I'm at today, I haven't lived a perfect life, and none of us ever will. But throughout that period of time, I've known this. I'm saved because of my faith that I put in Jesus as a nine-year-old boy. I'm born again because of that moment that I accepted Christ as Savior, and I know for sure that that book of life in heaven has my name written down, not because of what I've done, but because of my faith and repentance in Jesus. That's critical. And so if you're here today and you don't know for sure your sins are forgiven, I talked to a lady after the 8 o'clock service, and I said, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And she said, I'm not 100%, but I'm mostly sure. I said, would you like to sit down with somebody who could open the Bible and show you how you could know for sure? And she says, I I can't today, but maybe next time. I said, okay. But I cannot imagine knowing what the Bible says, that I deserve to go to hell when I die, and not knowing for sure that my sins are forgiven. And so it's it's not a matter of joining our church or becoming a Baptist or uh, being baptized. There's no classes you have to go through. I just need to realize Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died to pay for my sins. I believe in him with every fiber of my being, and I'm asking him to forgive me of my sinful condition. And you can be born again. Really simple. So simple, a nine-year-old boy could do it. But here's here's the, the important part. There are people who have never been saved, who have never been born again, yet still call themselves Christians. And that's what Paul's talking about in this passage here. There's people who aren't really born again. There's people who aren't really saved, yet they call themselves Christians. Or even worse, there are people who are actually saved who live like non-Christians. And Paul says this is a major, major problem. And he says, he goes so far as to say this, these people are the enemies of the cross. It's interesting to me, I, uh, when we came here to, to start Who We Call in, in 2013, it's hard to believe that this October our church will turn eight years old. Really exciting stuff. When we came here in 2013, I knew that there would be opposition. Uh, I knew that you know this city uh, probably wouldn't like a church that comes in the middle of town and, and begins preaching Jesus and preaching the gospel. And you think to yourself, people in the neighborhood might not like it, or people might be uh, you know, hostile towards our, our position and what we believe about the Bible and things like that. And you know what I found was actually interesting? There used to be a sports bar up here on the, the corner behind uh, the parking lot of Chen Cam. And uh, I went over and was talking to the guy who owned the sports bar and invited him to church. He wasn't a Christian, uh, but um, I was, had a really good relationship with him. They had graffiti on their building, and our church came over on a, a Sunday night and painted his building for him at no cost to him and just tried to show the love of Jesus to him and be kind to him. And, man, I, he was a big, huge local guy, and I saw him at the mall one time. The dude picked me up off my feet and bear-hugged me in the middle of the mall. He's not the world. Totally unsaved guy, owns a bar less than, uh, you know, 100 yards from our church, loves me to death. And I found that the opposition that we received didn't come from the guy that you think would not want a church in his neighborhood. You know, the interesting thing to me was the people who said hurtful, negative things about me, my family, and my church, uh, our church, was other Christians. And I thought to me, that was strange. Why would Christians hurt other Christians? It's, when we think about the enemies of the cross, not all enemies of Jesus appear as enemies of Jesus. Not all enemies of the cross are picketing against churches, are hateful towards Christians. <laughs> In this case here, Paul says that the enemies of the cross of Christ, uh, they follow their own sensual desires. They do what they want to do. 
And so I, I think in this case, Paul's not necessarily talking about actual pagans who actually hate the gospel. He's talking about people who masquerade as Christians. They appear as Christians on the surface maybe, or maybe they use Christian language, but they don't pur- uh, purport themselves to be outright enemies of the cross. If the devil wants to trick you and pull you away from the faith, he doesn't show up at your front door in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork and say, hey, I'm the devil. I'm here to pull you away from your faith. It doesn't work that way. He's going to weave in a few lies here and there to slowly draw you away from the truth because one of Satan's tactics is subtlety. He doesn't do anything outright and blatant. None of us would ever go to the church of Satan to worship on a Sunday morning. That would be, that would be way too far for anybody who would call themselves a Christian. But we might go to a church that doesn't preach the gospel, doesn't preach the Bible because they have a really good kids program. We might go to a church with questionable doctrine and theology because they have a really good, quote, worship team. We might like to go to this church because it's the big church that everybody goes to and everybody knows everybody there. And they put on a really good show. They've got a, a great band. They got the smoke. They got the lights. When I leave, I get super pumped up. Their doctrine's not solid. They don't really preach the Bible. Nobody gets saved there. They don't really have a discipleship program. But it's, it's Christian. And before you know it, we're drawn away from truth because we chase after other things. So the, the devil's very subtle. The Bible tells us in, in Genesis chapter 3 when he came to talk to Eve, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the one, Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan didn't just come out right, forthright to Eve and say, hey, did you know that God's a liar? He starts first by questioning the authority of God to be able to speak. Did God really say that? I mean, come on, maybe you misunderstood him, you know? And then he goes so far as to, to then say, well, God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because when you do, you'll be just like him and he doesn't want any competition. And so the devil's not only crafty and deceiving, he's an outright liar as well. But had he come to Eve on the surface and said, hey, God's a liar, she probably wouldn't have given him an audience. But he says, hey, maybe you just misunderstood what God said. And so many times people get drawn away from what God says. And know this, every time that you're drawn away of the truth, you're giving in to a satanic deception. I know that's really hard to, to hear. But the only person that wants to draw you away from the truth of God's word is the devil because he hates the truth. The Bible tells us that he is a liar and has been from the very beginning. And when we think of folks that pull people away from the truth, false doctrine, false teachers, and false churches trade on the name of Jesus. What I mean by that is these false churches and false teachers have no credibility in and of themselves, so they use the name of Jesus to give them some level of credibility. I, uh, I was at the airport um, a couple of weeks ago, and I just sat down, and, and I was traveling by myself, and so I just sat down, I was going to listen to uh, a podcast, and I, I just sat down at the gate, and I got my bag situated, and got everything done. You know that feeling when you finally make it to the gate, and you're like, oh, finally. And so I'm rummaging through my bag in front of my headphones, and I get one headphone in, and I get, I'm getting ready to put the other one in, and some guy leans over, he goes, hey, you traveling for business or pleasure? And I'm like, please leave me alone, right? You know that feeling that you're like, now is not the time. And I pull out my other headphone and I turn around and look, uh, and this guy's wearing a, a, a white uh, button-up shirt with a tie and a placard in his, in his pocket here with black pants on. And I said, I'm traveling for, for pleasure. How about you? And he goes, oh, I'm on a mission. 
man, tell me about your mission. I'd love to hear it. And so he strikes up a conversation with me. And we began talking about the church that he's a part of. And he's a part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so as we begin talking about this and everything, he begins to tell me about it. Have you heard about the prophet Joseph Smith? And he can tell me about Joseph Smith and the, the book that he received and things along those lines. And it, it struck me for a moment that I said, I said, well, that's okay. I'm a Christian. He says, no, I am too. Got it. Because he was a part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. See the name Jesus in there. Nobody would ever go to a church of Joseph Smith of Latter-day Saints. There's no credibility in that. But if we take the name of Jesus and we make that part of our name, then that gives us some air of credibility. They're like, oh, we're Christians just like you. And so I said, hey, man, I don't know a lot about Mormonism, which truthfully I don't. I've never actually gone to a Mormon service. Like that. I've read a lot of stuff. I've read a lot of books and things like that. I said, I don't know a lot about it. I said, but uh, tell me about uh, how do I get to heaven? That's, that's the thing I want to know. How do I get to heaven? And so he says, you have to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Okay, I'm with you. You have to trust and believe in his atonement on the cross. Okay, I'm with you. And he goes, that's it. That's it? He goes, yeah. I said, oh. I said, I've done that. I said, am I going to heaven? He said, have you been baptized? I said, I have. And he says, where were you baptized? I was baptized at Walnut Street Baptist Church in Benton, Kentucky. If that doesn't sound like a country church, I don't know what it is. Walnut Street Baptist Church in Benton, Kentucky, you know? Yeehaw. Um, he says, well, that doesn't necessarily count. I said, tell me why. He says, because, you know, that church is not part of the royal priesthood. Tell me about the royal priesthood. royal priesthood was lost for uh, 1,700 years. It was discovered by uh, Joseph Smith, uh, and then it was restored. And now you have to be baptized in the appropriate priesthood. I said, is there another church that would qualify for that outside of the Mormon church? He says, no. I said, can I go to heaven without being baptized? He said, no. And I said, so then the only way to go to heaven is to be baptized in the Mormon church, right? And he goes, right. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, he was mistaken, right? Well, no, Jesus wasn't mistaken. Well, Jesus, Jesus didn't include the, the church in there anywhere. And I said, if you're the only avenue to heaven, your church, then everyone else is, is without hope. We begin to, to dialogue back and forth, and I, I try to tell him, hey, look, I'm not trying to have an argument with you. I'm just trying to, I say, I say, what do you think about what Galatians chapter one says? That if any of you receive another gospel, even if it's given to you by an angel, let that man be accursed unto you. I said, how do you rectify that with the Book of Mormon? And I said, and what do you do when the Book of Mormon and the Bible disagree, which one wins out? And he goes, oh, they never agree, they're in complete harmony. Okay, let's take a look at that. And so I turned to a couple of scriptures and stuff like that, and, uh, and I began to ask him about that, and he didn't have a good answer. And, and he said, well, the Book of Mormon's not another gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just a continuation of his story. And I said, do you have a copy of, of the Book of Mormon on you? He said, sure. So he pulls it out of his backpack. I said, I haven't read any, any of your book, uh, bits and pieces, I said, but I've read the title page. I said, can you tell me what the subtitle of the Book of Mormon is? The Book of Mormon, subtitle, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. And I said, here's another gospel. And I said, I said that's expressly forbidden by Paul in Galatians chapter one. How do you rectify that? And he said, we don't think, see it as another gospel, it's just a continuation. I said, no, this says it's another testament. He goes, yeah, the word testament means testimony. And I said, no, it doesn't. The word testament means covenant. This means another covenant of Jesus Christ. And he sat there for a minute and he goes, what do you do for a living? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and so 
Uh, I said, look, man, I'm not trying to have an argument with you or anything like that. I'm just trying to tell you that you're telling me the only way to heaven is through the church when Jesus expressly said he's the only way to heaven. Uh, you say, I need another book to be able to find Jesus. The Bible says it's sufficient. And I said, I, said, I just have one last question for you. I said, and, and this will tell me a lot. I said, if a man were stranded on an island with nothing but a copy of the Bible, the Holy Bible, would he have enough in his hands to put his faith in Jesus and be saved? No access to any elders, no pastors, no teachers, no churches, just the Bible. Would he have enough to be saved? He sat there for a minute and he said, no. I said, I know you don't understand this, but what you said is one of the most blasphemous things that I've ever heard in my entire life from someone who claims to be a Christian who is obviously not a Christian to say that the word of God is not sufficient. We need something else. And I said, man, I appreciate your commitment to your faith. I said, I wish the majority of Christians were as committed as you are. I said, but I want to encourage you to study the truth. And the truth is found in the word of God. And he said, oh, just like Joseph Smith, I prayed for, for, for truth. And this is what I've come up with. Then I would continue your quest for truth because it's found in the word of God. But here's the thing. For him, he really thought that he was doing the right thing because this whole religion is built upon a guy who had a relationship with an angel, quote, of God in the woods somewhere. And so for him, had he found a, a guy who's creating a, a religion based on some vision of some statue of Buddha, he would have never bought into it. But in, in his mind, he was as much Christian as I was because and unless you say, well, who's the one who really gets to determine the truth, you or him? Neither of us. God's word always determines the truth. That's why it doesn't amount to a hill of beans what I think or you think about the Bible. It matters what God says. I'm not interested in hearing people's opinions. If you want my opinion on the Bible, let's grab coffee and I'll tell you what I think about it. Otherwise, I'm just going to tell you God's word and what it says. And so I don't get to be the arbiter between who's a false teacher and who isn't. How do we determine if this is a false church or not a false church? The Bible always does that for us. That's why I want for you as a Christian to be a discerning Christian. We spend a lot of time here at Who We Call It talking about doctrine because doctrine is so incredibly important. Doctrine is a body of truth that we hold to be uh, the truth itself. For example, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's doctrine. You can't get away from that. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. You can't get away from that. And if at any point you disagree with the fact that Jesus Christ is God, you are not a Christian because you have denied basic Bible doctrine. Again, Jehovah's Witnesses would trade on the name of Jesus Christ. They would say that Jesus isn't God. He's a lesser version of God. And they would go so far as to write their own version of the Bible, the New World Translation of the Bible, to back up their doctrinal fallacies because you can't defend it from the actual Word of God. You've got to make a, up a fake version of the Bible to, to hold your doctrinal beliefs. And so again, you have a fake church, fake teachers that are trading on the name of Christ to give them credibility. And Paul says these people are the enemies of Christ. And so Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or thistles? When we think about false teachers, false teachers get enough truth to be able to draw you in and enough lies to take you to hell. Again, who wouldn't be interested in a God who wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? 
who wouldn't be interested in a God that you can have a little bit of Jesus on the, on the weekends, but you can live your life for yourself the rest of the week? Who wouldn't be interested in that? You can continue in, in sin and sprinkle a little Jesus on Sunday, and it all makes it okay. That Jesus came to give you life and that you might live it more abundantly. And that word abundantly means that you can drive a new car and live in a big house and your kids get to go to great schools and you'll be so well-liked. You'll have certain clout and status and people will love you. That's abundant life. That was never what Jesus intended. But our carnal heart craves that validation. I want somebody to tell me that I don't have to change. I want somebody to tell me that I'm great just the way that I am. Just keep doing what you're doing and everything will be okay. But at the core of who I am, I realize that I'm not okay and something needs to change. But false teachers give you enough truth to bait you and enough falsehood to take you away from the truth. That's why for us at Who We Call, we place a lot of importance on doctrine and teaching you what the Bible says because it'll keep you on the right path. We think of false teachers, we must vehemently guard against false teaching as it leads us astray from the truth. Got to guard against it at all costs, vehemently. And that's why I have no problem calling out heresy when I see it. I have no problem calling out false churches and false teachers because that's what we have to make sure that we guard against. I was helping a, a friend with some landscaping several years ago and uh, these folks were walking through the neighborhood with their briefcases and I knew exactly who they were. And they came by and they said, hey, we just want to give you a, a card to a website that you can visit whenever you get a chance. And I said, oh, where are you guys from? They said, oh, we're just an organization out in your neighborhood doing good today. Where are you from? Just take a look at the card whenever you get a chance. My hands were dirty and I said, hey, just tell me what's on the card. It's a special website that you won't want to miss. And I said, no thanks, we're Christians. He said, we are too. And I took the card and I looked at it and it says jw.org and handed it back and I said, no thanks, we're Christians. And she said, we are too. I said, no you're not. And she kind of looked at me funny and I go, thanks. Here's the thing. We have to understand that Jehovah's Witnesses are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. They've been blinded to the truth. They believe a false gospel that is taking them to hell. They believe that their works will get them to heaven. And, and again, I don't have a problem saying that because the Bible is very, very clear on where they stand. But here's the thing. Most of us would say, okay, I'm not going to get sucked up into to maybe Mormonism or, or, you know, Catholicism or other types of false churches like that. But we need to be careful that we don't get bought into false, quote, Christian teaching too. Several years ago, I was trying to find something. TV late at night and I was flipping through channels and I came across the uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network, which is also known as the Trinity Blasphemy Network. Uh, but um, <laughs> that's beside the point. But I stopped for a second because the guy on there, uh, he, was, he was a lot of fun. And so he was on there and uh, he was, was uh, quote, preaching. And he's walking across the platform and he goes, just like Moses led the children of Israel, walked across the Red Sea. Everybody's like, yes. People waving hankies and stuff like that. He's patting his brow like this as he's talking. He goes, just like Moses walked, I'm going to walk. Everybody goes, walk on, preacher, walk on. He goes, I'm going to walk. And so he starts walking like this. Everybody starts clapping. And like the organ's playing in the background like, dun, 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 dun. He's like, I'm just going to walk. I'm going to walk like that. And then so the crowd then starts chanting, walk, 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 walk. Uh, and I'm like, crack it up. Like, this is a blast. <laughs> this is so much fun. And so I'm watching it. And so he's like, and tomorrow morning, when that alarm clock goes off, 
and the devil wants to tell you to stay in bed. You know what I want you to do? I want you to get up and walk, 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 like that. He's like, amen, amen, amen. I'm going to walk. Walk on, preacher, walk on. And the organ's playing. It was like 10 minutes of this. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm cracking up. Like, this is like better than like sitting down and watching a show. Like, this is so entertaining. But then I thought to myself, this is really sad. This is what these people think qualifies church. And here's the worst part about it. Any of those people came and sat here for one service at Hui College, they'd be bored out of their skull, right? Like, when's he going to do, like, the whole chanting thing? Like, eh, never? <laughs> you know? But then I thought, to me, my heart was then grieved. Like, I don't know this guy from, from anybody, so I do one Google search on him, and the dude is big shocker, blasphemous heretic, who doesn't, wouldn't know the gospel if it smacked him upside the head with a baseball bat. Big shocker. But man, thousands of people, ultra, it was, I'll just tell you straight up, it was entertaining. I've never seen anything like this in my life, right? And I thought to myself, like, we should have fun like that at church. Like, I should start a chant, like, going, uh, get everybody pumped up, you know? I'm just like, no, never. Um, but I thought to myself, my heart hurt. Because here's a thousand people who, man, we went to church, and they would probably say things like, he, the pastor would say, man, I feel the Spirit of God in this place. Do you feel it? And man, yeah, we feel it. Walk, 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 walk. And somebody asked me after church, hey, what was the message about that? Oh, we're just going to walk this week. What does that even mean? There's not one shred of Bible in the entire 15 minutes that I watched. Like, what is that even? But people would say, oh, we went to church, and man, it was, it was blessed. Man, the preacher was on fire. We're just going to walk this week. When the alarm clock goes off tomorrow, and the devil tells you to stay in bed, I'm just going to walk. What? But here's the worst part. That's very appealing to our flesh because it never calls me to change. I don't have to look into myself and examine myself with the word of God and realize, just like Paul, I haven't made it yet. And if he's pursuing Christ-likeness, I should pursue Christ-likeness. And pursuing Christ-likeness requires death to self and obedience to Christ. I don't like that. But that's, that's the necessary work that the Bible's asking us to do. You don't need a Sunday pep rally to get pumped up. You need a heart check on a regular basis. And look, my goal is not to, to send you out here today feeling all warm and fuzzy inside with a desire to go out and walk. My goal today is to cause you to examine your heart to align it with the heart of God so that you don't need a Sunday pep rally because every morning when you wake up and your heart's right with God and you open the Bible, you're just like, man, it's good to be a Christian today. Praise God. And you read through the truth of God's word, you're like, yeah, I've seen that in my life. Yeah, I, I feel it. And you don't need somebody to pump you up artificially every week. You just need to spend some time on your face in the word of God. It'll pump you up any day of the week. And so if I can teach you to be a self-feeding Christian, you'll be able to continually encourage yourself in the Word. And again, I hope when you leave here today that you're encouraged by the Word of God. I really do. But my goal is not to artificially inflate your ego or to get you pumped up or have a, a Sunday pep rally. It's to call you to God's Word and obedience to God's Word because that's where the good stuff is found. John says in John, 1 John chapter 4, 
Verse number one, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is coming to the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is coming to the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of antichrist, wherever you've heard that it should come, even now it's already in the world. John goes so far as to say this, hey, anybody that denies good Bible doctrine, they're not of God, just know that. And here's what he says, try every spirit. That means put them to the test. People begin, begin saying things like, hey, I'm gonna rebuke the hurricane in the name of Jesus and it's gonna have to turn around. <laughs> hey, look, that's not of God. We don't have to question that. Hey, I had a vision last night that, that a 900-foot Jesus came to me and told me that I need to raise a million dollars. That's not of God. Because God's word guides us. But if we're not careful and we get caught up in an entertainment mindset, we'll be drawn away from the truth. Hey, I want a service that's a little bit shorter with a lot more music, with a lot more lights, with some quality professional singers, get a good little smoke show going on out of here. I want a great kid program for my kids, preferably with a play- playground outside so they can run their little energy out so they're good for a Sunday nap, and we'll call it good. Don't really care about the or what's said, but just give me a church that meets my needs. And we'll, if you're not careful, there's plenty of churches that won't scratch that itch for you, but you'll be drawn away from the truth. And so again, we've got we to drop anchor in good Bible doctrine. The majority of the New Testament is written to combat false teaching. If you look at the epistles that Paul wrote, First and Second Corinthians are written to combat false teaching. Galatians, written to combat false teaching. You find First Peter, written to combat false teaching. False teaching is not something we just deal with today in in the 2000s. It's something that they dealt with in the infancy of Christianity. That's why uh, Paul, as he writes to Titus, tells us we must earnestly contend for the faith. And so we have to be willing to stand on God's word. Next, the enemies of the cross profess salvation, but they're not actually saved. By and large, the enemies of the cross are going to be people who call themselves Christian, but they wouldn't know true Christianity. And again, we need to be careful saying this person's not saved, that person's not saved. That's not our job to to determine who is and who is not saved. But I'll tell you this, if somebody's trusting in their baptism or their church to get them to heaven, I can say based on the authority of the Bible, they're not saved. If somebody denies the gospel of Christ, I would say that you are not saved. Somebody asked me, um, I I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Joel Joel Osteen was a rank heretic, and they said, do you really believe so? Yeah, I do, Uh, for a multitude of reasons, but I saw, I've very rarely in my life ever yelled at a television before, but I remember specifically, I was sitting on the couch watching a Larry King interview with Joel Osteen, and Larry King, who was a a Jew, asked Joel Osteen, "If, if people don't believe what you believe about the Bible, do you think that they go to hell? And he says, well, I'm not really one to say. Well, if somebody rejects Christ as Savior, would you say that they would go to hell? He goes, I don't really know what to say to that. I don't, what about a Muslim who, who would deny Jesus Christ? He goes, I don't know a lot about Muslims. Well, okay, anybody who would deny Christ as Savior, would they go to hell? And he goes, I, I'm not really one to say who will and won't go to hell. I'm just trying to make people's lives better. And I, I was screaming at the television like, dude, this guy teed it up for you and all you had to do is swing. And you, and, you, and you whiffed, you know, struck out. And so if you're not willing to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're not a Christian, simple as that. And so again, I don't have to, to be judgmental or ugly or angry or things like that, but the Bible's really, really clear. If you can't confess Jesus Christ is Lord, you are not a Christian. And so again, he might have one of the largest churches in the United States, but the man is not a Christian. He needs to be saved. He needs to be born again. 
And again, if you listen to his message, you'll never hear the word sin. You'll never hear the word uh, repentance. You'll ne- never hear the words salvation. You'll never hear about hell, that's for sure. So again, we, we can't say that we have a gospel message when we don't talk about the nuts and bolts of the gospel. And so these people are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter seven, unless you say like, well, just because somebody calls himself a Christian doesn't act like it doesn't mean that you can't say that they're a Christian. Hey, Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we not cast out devils? In thy name done many wondrous works? Then I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus said there's gonna be a lot of people who see me face to face, and when they get sent to hell, they're gonna be like, what? What happened? No, like, I was in church all the time. I was always doing good stuff. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Also in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction. And many there be that will, that will go that way. But he says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to salvation. And there be few that find it. So again, Jesus knows that not everyone is going to be saved. He, he wants everyone to be saved for sure. But he knows that there's only be a small number of people who actually stick with the truth because the devil is a liar and our flesh is incredibly strong. And so we have to make sure that we guard against any type of false teaching. We recognize that just because somebody calls himself a Christian doesn't necessarily make them a Christian. I remember as a kid, I, mean, I was probably nine years old and I, I didn't know nothing about nothing. Uh, again, my parents took me to church. I didn't have a type of discipleship or anything like that. And I'd see one of my favorite baseball players on TV hit a home run, and as he's rounding the bases, he goes like that. It's like, oh, he's a Christian. Why would I think that? Because he stuck his index finger up in the air, it makes him a Christian? (laughs) If he's like checking the wind, you know, would that make him a Christian? No, no, he pumped it like, oh, glory to God, because I hit a home run. Yeah, I don't think that's what he was talking about. It's going to take a little bit more than somebody pointing to the sky to make me think that they're a Christian. But again, people want to use the name Christian because it gives them credibility, whether it be an actor or a musician or a, a, for heaven's sake, social media influencer who puts a little cross in their their profile photo or maybe someone gets a little tattoo on the webbing of their hand with a cross on it. Oh, that person's a Christian now. While their, their life denies Christ, they use it because it gives them credibility because the name of Christ actually means something. And so you and I should look less at the labels that people put on themselves and more at the label that Jesus Christ puts on people. You call yourself a Christian, that's fine. Let's get down and see what Jesus says about you. I'm less concerned with what label you place upon yourself. I've I've never in my entire life found a solid Bible teacher ever who has called themselves the title of apostle. Never, not once. First of all, the Bible gives us guidelines on how to select pastors and deacons. It never talks about any type of apostolic succession. And so the apostles died, and the apostleship died with them. We don't have any more apostles these days. And so I've never one time ever met someone or found anybody who calls himself apostle, self-appointed, who is a, has a shred of biblical knowledge whatsoever. Definitely not obeying the Bible, that's for sure. They might know a lot about stuff. So I'm less concerned with what you call yourself. I'm more concerned with what Jesus calls you. You might call yourself a Christian. That's fine. Why would you call yourself a Christian? Well, I call myself a Christian because I'm not an atheist. 
okay, I'm less concerned now with how you label yourself, more concerned with how God labels you. And if your only criteria for calling yourself not a, not a, calling yourself a Christian is that you're not an atheist, then we need to talk through the gospel and help you understand what the Bible says about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved, what it means to be born again. Because Paul says a lot of people call themselves by these names, but they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. And so again, for me, I want to know, what does the Bible say about who you are? This guy that I met at the airport called himself a Christian. The Bible says he's not a Christian. Less concerned with what he labels himself with, more concerned with what God labels him as. When people ask me what I am, I will sometimes identify myself as a born-again Christian because that puts quantifiers on it. I'm not just a Christian because I go along with the crowd. I've been saved. I've been born again. I'm a child of God. I call myself a born-again Christian is how I personally identify. But again, somebody asked me why I call myself that. I want to explain to you. Because I've been saved. Because I've been born again. Because my faith and trust is in Jesus Christ as my Savior. As Paul gives the guidelines of the enemies of the cross, he looks in verse number uh, 18 here. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 18. For many walk of whom I've told you often, and I tell you, even weeping, they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Let me just stop for just a second before we go any further. This isn't in your notes, but it's really important. Fake Christians should grieve the heart of real Christians. When I see that guy that I saw on TV, it was funny for like 15 minutes, but afterwards, my heart hurt. Because here's a guy that doesn't know Jesus, who people look at as an authority, who now people are following after, and it hurt my heart. This past week uh, came out some pastor in somewhere that I've never even heard of that I don't even know. Some pastor got arrested for molesting children. <sighs> Take him out back and shoot him. Yeah. He said, Pastor, that's really harsh. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, hang a millstone around his neck and kick him off in the water. I mean, drowning or shooting doesn't matter to me. He said, well, don't think people like that can be restored. I can forgive anything, but there's, there's very little wiggle room on, on when you start messing with children. But the worst part about it is this guy called himself a Christian. He lived an anti-Christ life. And so again, for us, we gotta make sure that we stick with God's word because the enemies of the cross of Christ are those who have obeyed their fleshly desires. It says in this verse number 19, their God is their belly. They just do what they wanna do. They're not concerned with obeying the word. They're not concerned with obeying Christ. They just want to do what they want to do. Their flesh is taken over and their flesh runs the show. So they no longer have a desire to be led by the Spirit. No longer a desire to be led by the word of God. They're led by the God of their belly. And again, Paul's categorizing what's more than likely professing Christians that aren't really saved. But look, I've, seen, I've been around long enough to see real deal Christians who have been saved and born again who's allowed their fleshly and carnal desires to take over. None of us are above it. Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse number 18, for they that such serve are not, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches they deceive the hearts of the simple. See, here's the, the worst part about it. And sometimes people say, like, oh, pastor, why are you so passionate and pumped up about false teaching and false churches and, and things like that? Look, you want to believe that, you know, in the flying spaghetti monster, totally up to you. It doesn't matter to me. But the problem comes when you begin to bring other people along with you. And other people are now influenced by your falsehood. And again, Paul says here in Romans chapter 16, verse number 18, 
and by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. You got people who don't really know any better, who don't know what's, what's what, have no discernment, have no biblical wisdom. They're going to follow this because of what? Good words and fair speeches. And look, I can't tell you how many times I've seen false teachers that are outstanding communicators. I mean, just good storytellers, engaging personality, exciting to listen to. And that's a trick of the devil because good words, fair speeches, they've deceived who? The simple, people who don't know any better. That's why I want for you uh, as, as a member of who we call it to be a discerning Christian. You call this your church home, I want you to be a mature, discerning Christian that the first time you flip on some garbage on, the, on TV or some guy 10 minutes gets a pep rally to walk, you go, my soul, this is garbage, and you turn the channel. As opposed to like, Pastor, I saw this guy on TV, and he just preached the socks off of it. Be like, no, that's not Bible preaching. I want you to be discerning. I want you to be able to understand truth from error. I, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who says, real discernment is not knowing right from wrong, but knowing right from almost right. That's discernment. That's like, hey, I'm mature enough to know that that doesn't really pass the biblical test. That's what I want for you. I want to help you to grow in the word. And look, here's the thing too. I love answering Bible questions. I love, I love talking about stuff. I love teaching and training. I love discipling. But at the end of the day, if, if I, you have to come to me to ask me every single question that there is under the sun for the rest of your life, you're not doing anything. At some point, you've got to become a self-feeder where you dig into the word on your own, you study things out, and you come to me and not say like, hey, what about this? You say, hey, here's these, these verses I was looking at. What did he mean by that? I looked up this cross-reference here. It means this. You know, help me understand that. That's where I want to get you to. You might not be there today. That's okay. We got time. But it's a journey of seeking after truth. And the enemies of the cross, they have no desire for those things. They have a desire for their flesh. The enemies of the cross are proud of those things that are shameful. Verse number 19 says that they, their glory is in their shame. You know what that means is they, the things that they should be ashamed of, they're actually proud of. I've met Christians before. This is a good time to, to talk to professing Christians who really want to follow after Jesus. I've heard people before say things like, hey, you know, whatever's on my mind, I just say it. Like, I, I, you got, there's no filter here. You know, whatever just comes in, I just say it. And I'm a, I'm a straight shooter, straight talker, you know, black and white. Whatever I think, you're going to know. You don't have to have any questions. I'll let you know where we stand. Don't tell people that that's actually embarrassing. You know, why? Because the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a fool uttereth all of his mind. Only an idiot says everything that pops in their head. And so you just confess to everybody listening, and I'm embarrassed for you, that you're an idiot and you're not wise. Don't be proud of that. <laughs> There's a guy that uh, Angela had the opportunity to disciple the, the couple, man, probably almost 15 years ago. We sat down. They've been safe for, for a short period of time, and, uh, and we get to, to uh, probably a third meeting that we had, and he drops the F-bomb in the middle of a conversation. I said, oh, I'm going to stop you right there. Christians don't talk like that. Uh, anyways, he was like, what? You do no, you don't understand, man. Like, you know, I grew up in L.A., and I was part of a gang, this neighborhood that I was in. This is just, it's just how we talk. Okay, that's fine. You're a new creature in Christ. Don't ever do that again. And he's like, uh, what? 
no, man, this is just like how we talk. And so like you need to understand like, like guys like me, this is just how we talk. Okay, you need to understand that Christians don't act this way. And if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you don't do this anymore. I don't care where you come from. And he was like, because his neighborhood and the way he grew up was kind of his badge of honor that he wanted to wear of how hard he was. No, you should be ashamed of the way that you act, son. Knock it off. A couple weeks later, you know, we're discipling the, the, him and his wife together. And he says something really short, mean, rude, and condescending to his wife. And I said, hey, don't talk to your wife that way. And he goes, well, that's just the way we are. Nope, might have been the way you were, but you don't do that anymore. And he's just like, you know what? I respect you and all, he said, but I don't think you understand Hispanic culture, and this is just how we are. This is how we treat women and stuff like that. Hey, bro, I don't have to know nothing about Hispanic culture, and frankly, I don't care. You don't talk to your wife that way, period. The Bible says that we as men love our wives the way that Jesus loves his church, and you don't talk to a woman like that ever. And he goes, I just think you don't understand the cultural dynamic of our relationship. I don't think you understand the Bible, and that's why we're here. So zip it, seriously. But for him, his Hispanic culture was his badge of honor. It's like, bro, you should be, I'm embarrassed for you by the way that you're talking to your wife. Have you ever been in a scenario where somebody says something and you just want to like crawl under the table because you're so embarrassed for them? They don't care. They've got no shame, but it's just like, I'm embarrassed for you. Those that are the enemies of the cross of Christ, they have no problem. The things that the world should, would be ashamed of, they glory in their shame. They're not embarrassed by posting sin on Facebook for everybody to see. It doesn't bother them at all. Why? Because they glory in their shame. Thatcher sent me a, a photo this week of a couple of people that we knew that this guy got somebody pregnant who was not his wife out of wedlock, and him and the pregnant girlfriend are shooting shotguns together in front of the, the baby bump. And Thatcher sends me, he's like, what the world? Now these people, two people are totally unsaved. And I saw it and my heart sank because here's a woman who's not his wife, who's pregnant, and they're happy about it. And I texted him back and I said, isn't it awful when you're embarrassed for people and they're not embarrassed for themselves? Like my first thought when I saw that picture is like, oh my goodness, you put this on the internet? Like I'm embarrassed for it. Like I don't even really know you, but I want to call you and tell you to take it down. But here's the thing, they're unsaved. I get it. But the problem is, is that Christians many times have no shame over their own sin. And so again, lest we take our sin as a badge of honor, this is just who I am, this is how I am. No, that might have been how you were, but that's not how we live anymore. And so, but those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ, man, their, their glory is in their shame. Turn it over to, to Romans chapter uh, 1. Oftentimes in talking with people about the subject of homosexuality, many, many people are just misinformed when it comes to the Bible. Uh, I've talked with people before who are in a homosexual relationship. It says, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. He didn't directly, but he did. Um, the Bible nowhere in the New Testament says anything about homosexuality. It's only in the Old Testament where it also talks about not wearing mixed, uh, mixed clothing and, and bacon, not eating bacon and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, you're missing the point. But the New Testament actually does speak about it, believe it or not. Romans chapter 1 talks about how, uh, verse number uh, 21, because they, when they 
knew not God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So basically they said, hey, we know there's a God, but we don't want to follow him, we don't want to listen to him, we're going to make up our own rules, we're going to do our own thing. As you can imagine, these people are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whether you be, uh, call yourself a Christian or not. When you've taken God off of the throne and you've replaced him with yourself, that's big time problems right there. Then it goes on, uh, verse number 23. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God to an image made unto a corruptible man, into birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them over into uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. So when you think you're smarter than God, you don't want to listen to him, you want to do your own thing, obey your own lust, here's what happened. Verse 26. For God gave them up to their vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use, which is against nature. And likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burning their lust towards one another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, speaking of homosexual relationships, receiving themselves the recompense of the error that which, which was meet. So again, when the Bible's really clear about this, that homosexuality is the end result of those who have forgotten God and no longer want to follow him, okay? Now understand that, that I love homosexual people more than, as much as anybody else that I would, for sure. Their sin is a sin that needs help. The only hope that they have is in the gospel. But when you drive around Honolulu in the month of June and there are churches that are flying a rainbow flag out in front of their church, you look at that and you say, I'm embarrassed for you because you're glorying in something that should be shameful. Romans chapter one says, this is, a, this is just proof that you have left God as God. And when you fly a rainbow flag out in front of a church, you're not standing, saying we stand for equality. You're saying we have st stood against God. And you're proud about that? That's terrible. So um, why don't you fly a flag out front and say, hey, we're for all the people in adulterous relationships too. We're going to fly the adultery flag out front. Hey, we're going to fly the flag for the, the tax evasion. We, we believe the government takes too much money and we know your struggles and we stand with you for equality for all the tax evaders out there. You look at this, you can't do that. Hey, for all those who are involved in theft, who take things that don't belong to them because you feel like you deserve it, we stand with you. We fly a flag in solidarity with you. You look at that and you go, that's crazy. It's crazy to glory in something that should be shameful according to the Bible. But here's the thing, it goes on. Verse number 28, and, and they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And it goes on, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murders, debate, deceit, malignity, long list of terrible sins, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful. Verse 32, knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. So for us to celebrate something that God would say is worthy of death and would clearly say is a sin is just ignorance, foolishness, and shaking our fist in the face of God. But hmm, let's be careful with that because you look at that long laundry list of those sins, you go, man, those are terrible sins. Verse 32 is not done. Not only those that do the same are worthy of death, but those that have pleasure in them that do them. You might not have been unfaithful to your wife, but if you watch television shows and are entertained by guys who are unfaithful to their wife, guess what? You're, you're culpable. You're on the hook. Somebody asked me a couple of months ago, Pastor, what do you think about this being the last season of Keeping Up with the Kardashians? What? 
Like, if you put a gun to my head and told me to name them, just pull the trigger and get it over with. I'm, I'm done. Really, I, I have no idea. My, my thought is people actually watch this filth, garbage. Like, who, first of all, who cares? But here's what I begin to think also. Between that television show and all the other television shows that Christians watch, why do we glory in other people's sin? Well, I would never actually do that, but it's a good show. You got television shows that glorify sexual assault and rape, and you're entertained by that? There's something wrong, friend. And just know this, if you're entertained by sexual assault, you're just as guilty as the people who commit those things. It's what the Bible says, Romans 1. It's pretty clear. So it's, it's more than just the things that I do, it's the condition of my heart. Are you, you might, I, don't, I, don't use, I don't talk like that, but I enjoy listening to that kind of music or that kind of television shows and things like that. Hey, you're as guilty as, as the people who do them according to the Bible. You take pleasure in those that do. So again, God holds us in very high standard, a high degree as far as what he expects from us. And look, if you want to go your own way and do your own thing and your God is your belly, just know this, you are an enemy of the cross of Christ. You're not a friend to the, to, to the cause, that's for sure. Turn back to Philippians chapter three. When people do these types of things, again, they take pride in the shameful things. It's usually a combination of ignorance, foolishness, immaturity, or rebellion. One of the two or all of them all together. But the fact of the matter is you cannot call yourself a Christian and enjoy the things that the Bible calls sinful and shameful. If you do, you're an enemy of the cross of Christ who glory in their shame. Final thoughts here. First of all, enemies of the cross, they mind earthly things. They're caught up in this world. What will this world do to advance me? What does this world have for me? What can I clamor after that this world has to offer? Is it money? Is it status? Is it what people think of me? Is it a nicer car? Is it a bigger house? Is it better vacations? Is it a well-curated Instagram page? What is it? Enemies of the cross of Christ are concerned about those things, but the enemies of the cross actually damage the name of Christ by having an antichrist spirit. One of the things that, that grinds my gears is somebody who calls himself a Christian but doesn't act like it. You're just hurting the name of Christ. You're just making it harder for real Christians. You know, when pastors get caught up in sexual scandals, people begin to say, well, all pastors are probably perverts. That's not helpful. That hurts my heart. It hurts my heart that someone would call himself a man of God yet be involved in egregious sin. It hurts my heart. Last year, there was a, a popular pastor who'd written several books who said, I don't know that I ever really was a Christian to begin with and, and basically renounced his faith in Christ, apostatized. And people were like, see, I knew that all pastors are in it for the money. They're all in it for, for power and all this other stuff. Hey, look, that just hurts real pastors. And so those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ hurt the friendly cause that we have of the, of the cause of Christ so if you want to be the real deal, which I hope that you do, we don't seek to satisfy our flesh, we seek to satisfy Jesus. It's no longer about me and what I want, it's all about Jesus and what he wants. I'm not trying to get a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of me, I want it to be all Jesus. Again, Christianity has gone awry in our society today with the idea that you can have your carnal, sinful life and we'll sprinkle a little Jesus on top on Sundays and you'll be good for a week. Jesus says, pick a side. 
And so we, I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for Jesus. I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what Jesus wants to do. Because that's where the satisfaction and fulfillment comes from. We're not proud of our sin, but when it happens, we don't seek to cover our sin, but we lament and repent over it. Sin grieves my heart. When I sin, I feel terrible about it, and I want to make it right. I'm not proud of it. I'm not going to glory in it. I don't know where it is a badge of honor. It's embarrassing. But my shame, I don't have to carry my shame because Jesus put my shame to death on the cross. All I need to do is repent of my sin and walk in repentance. Repentance means a change of mind, which results in a change of heart, which results in a change of direction. And so when I repent over my sin, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm turning a different direction. I'm walking away from that. Final thought. We realize that this world is just a facade and we have to live with eternity in mind. Again, verse number 20 says, our conversations in heaven from which we look for the Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever been to Walt Disney World in Orlando, California? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever been to Disneyland in California? Raise your hand. Disneyland is like this. Walt Disney World is like this, right? When you walk into Disneyland, you get this idea that it's huge, you know? Because you walk in, there's like Main Street Disney. You're like, what's up? I'm in Disney. And there's like churro carts, and then there's like another churro cart. I got to stop at the third churro cart. I love churros. Uh, but... You walk in, you're like, wow, this is incredible. And you look around, there's all these buildings with the really ornate details along, stuff like that. And you get, I don't know, maybe 50 yards down the street, and you realize, like, wait a minute, there's only like six or seven shops here selling like T-shirts. There's nothing really here on Main Street Disney that we got going on here. You begin to look around, like, some of these doors don't even work. There's windows up there are fake. And you realize, like, wait a minute. And you think like Main Street goes on forever because you can see out in the distance that like it just, the road just keeps going. And the closer you get, you realize it's a wall that's painted to look like the road goes on forever. And it's just a wall at the end. And then on the left, there's like the, the Muppets 3D exhibit over there. I've walked down street, down, down to Main Street Disney before. And you get to the end, you're like, this is it. And it like loops back around and you got other stuff over there. But you realize like, so Main Street Disney, well, if there's not a parade going on. It's just a bunch of kitschy t-shirt shops and a couple of churro stands that look really nice, like totally awesome. And then you think to yourself, like, I can't wait to go into the castle. This is going to be awesome. Like, we walk around and see the castle and stuff like that. And you get to the castle and you realize there's just an arch and you pass through the castle because you can't actually go in the castle. It's not a real castle. And you're just like, I think I went wrong somewhere, <laughs> you know? Like, don't get me wrong. Love Disneyland. Love it, love it, love it. But if you've been to like Walt Disney World and you go to Disneyland, you're like, this is it? Like, what? And then you realize that all that is fake. It's a put on to make you feel something. This world is a fake. It's all a put on to make you feel something. But then you buy into the facade and you want the really ornate doorknob to a door that doesn't go anywhere. And you build your life to get that doorknob, but it doesn't go anywhere. You build your life around getting that car that's at the end of the, the street only you get down to realize that that car has the doors glued shut and the windows don't, are made out of plastic. It's not even real. But you chase that facade. Don't chase it. Jesus is real. He's what you want. He's what your heart desires. Not the fake stuff that the world has to offer. Enemies of the cross, they're consumed with this world. 
They think that this world has what they want and they'll continue to claw at it. And when they get a piece of it, they'll realize, I think I need more and they'll continue to get more of that. Don't buy into it. Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, he said, look, if you have food and clothes, be content with that. You don't need all the other stuff. That Jesus Christ is really the prize. That's what Paul says in this passage, pressing towards the mark of the prize, the high calling of Jesus Christ. But the most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you need to be born again today. Don't hope so, think so that you're going to heaven one day. Know for sure that heaven is your home. For those of us that would call ourselves Christian, make sure that your profession of faith is good, that you know for sure that you're saved. And don't ever fall trap to the enemy, the devil who wants to get you off track because God forbid that I would ever become an enemy of the cross of Christ. God forbid that you would ever become an enemy of the cross of Christ. Let's continue to push forward for Christ's likeness and live for him this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.